Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is Brad Kearns. There's no way we can run off. We can't outrun a diet. This cannot be right. This cannot be right. You know, I've always been a guy that just questions everything. And it's like, well, wait, that doesn't seem to make sense. Why? You know, and whenever you start digging into that, you start learning more and more that you weren't getting the real story. Here's a quick thank you to our sponsors. They make this show possible and the tremendous production behind it online and in audio. Thank you, wildideabuffalo.com. Grass-fed, locally raised, on the Great Plains for the last 130,000 years. Quit eating that junk food feedlot cattle and get some quality meat into your life. And thank you, DNAfit.com, cutting-edge genetic testing, delivering customized diet and exercise recommendations for your peak performance. Use the discount code GOY30. Get over yourself. Integro Probiotics make this fabulous liquid probiotic high potency. It's called Flourish, so your microbiome can flourish. Gut health is everything. Get started. Visit entegrohealth.com and Tribali Foods. Pre-made, creatively flavored hamburger and chicken patties. When you're in a rush, drop one down, fry it up. It's delicious. T-R-I-B-A-L-I. And Almost Heaven. That's the name of my sauna. These are beautiful home-use saunas made of real wood, shipped to your door, easy to assemble, and then you are rocking. That's right. I'm going from chest freezer cold therapy into the hot barrel sauna. Check them out at almostheaven.com. And the Primal Blueprint online multimedia educational courses to go primal, go keto, get a stand-up desk going, master the challenge of endurance training, Go to bradkearns.com and click on the links to learn more about these courses. If you're sick of my voice on the podcast, you can now get sick of my face, too, on the videos. And ancestral supplements. This is grass-fed liver, organ meats, and bone marrow delivered in a convenient gelatin capsule. Don't stress about cooking liver anymore. Just pop some pills or throw capsules into a smoothie every day like me. And now on to our show... Hey, it's Brad. Very excited to introduce my show with the one and only Vinny Tortorich, America's celebrity trainer, the host of the very popular Fitness Confidential podcast, author of that best-selling book, Fitness Confidential. And let me tell you something, you're going to enjoy this show because this guy is the real deal. He shoots straight. He has no problem speaking his mind. He can tackle controversial topics in a straight, direct manner that's very refreshing in this day and age of the manufactured performances and the posturing. Such a down-to-earth guy. I mean, he's been working with Hollywood celebrities forever and has a very prominent position in the fitness industry and been around Hollywood forever. But he's just a super down-to-earth and genuine guy, full of life and enthusiasm. And 
man, this guy was born for podcasting. I have to say that first we recorded a very lengthy show for his channel, which you can go listen to, Brad and Vinny, and we get going on all kinds of topics like the dysfunctional attitudes that helicopter parents have and the corruption in NCAA Division I sports. So we were highly, highly warmed up when we pushed the record button for this episode of my show, and somehow we jumped right into politics, which was funny because at the end of Vinny's other show, he says, this is not a political podcast. I don't want to go there. And I say the same thing. It's not necessary. You can go listen to political podcasts. But we went there anyway. So we got in some nice jabbering about our wonderful president of the United States right now and all that kind of fun stuff before we settled in to talk about the matters at hand, including his amazing background in the fitness world, coming from New Orleans as a personal trainer and then plunging right into Hollywood and how he got his break, how he got his start in Hollywood is an absolutely mind-blowing anecdote that all young aspiring people in fitness or in any business would be well served to listen to very carefully. It's such an amazing character-revealing insight. You're not going to believe this story that involves Playboy Playmates and helping people lose massive amounts of weight going all in, all the way, even when his clients couldn't afford to pay him and just coming from his heart and really, truly wanting to help people. So you listen to that story and you get a great sense of who this guy is and what he's all about and how he still walks his talk today. I mean, he talks about the beginning of his podcast, which was just done as a folly on a whim. And he and his sidekick, Anna, who's hilarious, you'll listen to them on Fitness Confidential. They were so certain that no one was listening that they started goofing off and doing some nasty you know, dirty joke type of stuff, just having fun with it and not taking themselves too seriously. And then they discovered that they were actually a very highly rated podcast on iTunes. And then they started to get into this fast track where now it's one of the top ranked uh, health and fitness shows uh, perennially. And of course, adding more and more content to the channel. So it was a great privilege to sit down with Finney and have him go out of his way and take that time during the during the off hours. We, we plunged into, you know, family time, dinner time, but he didn't care, man. He was just wound up and we went all the way and talked about all kinds of amazing topics, ultra marathon cycling. Oh my goodness. And also him putting together this amazing insight, this epiphany that kind of was a cross between the Atkins diet and the modern notion of the compensation theory where exercise does not measurably contribute to your weight loss goals. All this stuff is being discussed right now as breaking news. And this was 30 years ago where this guy started to get the notions and have that creative mindset where he's asking questions and second guessing the conventional wisdom. And boy, it all started. He's a guy that was early on in this game and still going strong with his wonderful no sugar, no grains trademark phrase, the immediate one-liner that you can share to ask what this primal paleo low-carb scene is all about. The first step is ditch sugars and ditch grains, and then you'll lose weight. And that's been Vinny's game forever, just doing the best he can to help not only the Hollywood celebrities, but the ordinary people listening to his show. No sugar, no grains. You can't get any more simple than that. Enjoy this show with Vinny Tortorich of the Fitness Confidential Podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm sitting here in beautiful Woodland Hills, California, my hometown, and the town of Vinny Tortorich. The town of Robin Wright. And many other luminaries yeah. <laughs> here. It all happens in Woodland Hills. Uh, Vinny, I'm so glad to catch up with you. We've been uh, 
hanging for a while with different things happening and joining each other on the podcast and having our fun little dramatic start where I cut out your vitamin pitch on my podcast due to company <laughs> policy, forgot to tell you, and then rushed through a couple emails saying, sorry, dude, yeah, well, no big deal. And you're like, eh, it kind of was a big deal. And then we had this great connection where I said, you know, I have these opportunities in life to kind of recalibrate me and yeah. learn a lesson. And I called you up and I said, hey, dude, you know what? I got to tell you something. I'm really sorry. I appreciate your feedback. You're absolutely right. And boy, you know, it's, it's sort of like breaking the ice from when you're swimming around yeah. in the, you know, in the business world and, and getting, uh, getting mixed messages and weird things like that instead of just cutting to the chase and dealing with stuff, you know? But you see, I, I think the confusion with that happened, if I'm remembering right, was I, I was promised, you know, I had my vitamin company coming out and I was promised by someone, oh yeah, come on and promote it. And, and then... Um, <laughs> And and Mark, you know, Mark said, no, we, we sell vitamins. Why he, you know, and they just cut it out. And I was like, I was like, hang on, I let Mark come on and promote his vitamins on my show. And uh, and both you and Mark called and said, hey, we're terribly sorry. And I was like, I love these guys. These are stand up guys. You know, people don't stand up anymore and um, and admit when they're wrong. You know, look at what's going on in the world today. You know, um, all these women are coming out and accusing this guy, uh, Weinstein, of, you know, he you know he did this, he did that. And, you know, if it was one woman or two women, you could go, okay, is this guy really? But all of these women have very similar stories. And, you know, they're all going, this is what happened. And you go, wow, this guy was a real creep, right? Yet he's going, I didn't do anything wrong. How do you not know you didn't do something wrong? And, you know, I'm not comparing you and Mark to Weinstein, but <laughs> that's the world we live in where you guys went, oh, my God. Yeah, we totally, we told this guy one thing, we did something else, but somehow we got crossed up with the person I was talking to that booked me for the show and you, and nobody really knew. Well, you uh, you bring to mind. Uh, I, I'm not going to make this a political podcast, just like Vinny says on the Fitness Confidential. <laughs> and then I make but it political. It, it brings to mind the president, where he can stand up there and lie, and you know has been caught lying. And there's a, there's a website that says what percentage of statements come out of his mouth as a lie, and it's a world record of 71 percent or whatever. Right. But we're existing in that world where this guy is capable of getting elected. Deepak Chopra is not a political guy either. I heard him on a podcast recently, and he got in some really nice barbs about Trump, and he said this is a sample of this dysfunctional planet and this dysfunctional narcissist has been able to get elected. And he wasn't trying to be mean. He was just making the observation that this is, you know, how the elections go and, and the BS that comes out of the politicians' mouths and how we how we vote and process information. It's all short attention span and social media is dominating and whoever's on top right now. And we're, we're just, you know, constantly overstimulated with these weird influences that throw us off the good old-fashioned values that come from down-home Louisiana or wherever you grew up in a simpler time where yeah. if you broke the neighbor's window, you went over there and, and knocked on the door and said you're going to take your, your paper boy money and, and, and fix the window. And nowadays, you'd probably the kid would probably uh, sue the neighbor for having the window in the wrong spot. No kidding. Yeah, pretty much. And you know, speaking of the Trump thing, and yes, I don't do political, I don't care who anyone voted for, and that's not my thing, but I do find it very interesting um, that he, love him or hate him, he's the commander-in-chief, right? 
and he's what the world looks at when they look at us. Um, and we travel around the world a lot, and everyone has a lot to say about the guy. And, uh, you know, all I care about is, I don't care who the commander-in-chief is, I don't want to see the guy fail. Because if he fails, we fail. Um, do I believe he should be on Twitter every day? No, not so much. <laughs> but, but I don't want the guy to fail. And it seems like most of the country is waiting for him to fail. And I go, well, look at what you guys are asking for. You're asking for you to fail, too. That bothers me that we're there as a country. Um, the other part that bothers me is, you know, I heard this joke the other day, and it seems like this joke is going around a lot. Where is that thing on? Yeah, I'm just turning okay. my volume down. Okay. This seems to be going around a lot where they're talking about, uh, yeah, Trump. Trump is in love with his daughter or his daughter is in love with him. And you see, it all kind of falls short on me because I don't watch any television. It's just not my thing. I, I watch stuff on this monitor. It's usually a documentary. So I don't, I don't have all the CNNs and Foxes of the world. I, I, it just doesn't matter to me. But when you hear through the great, you know, oh, this whole joke about he and his daughter are in love with each other and they, want to, they truly want to have sex with each other. Could you imagine if we were saying that about President Obama and one of his daughters. You see, it wouldn't have worked the other way, but we seem to think it's perfectly fine now that he's in office. And as an American, I don't like that. Yeah, it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll say, since we're not on a political podcast, I'm, I'm extremely liberal, I would classify myself, but I get incensed when I see these liberal spokespeople, when they're being inflammatory and, and posturing and grandstanding in the same manner as Rush Limbaugh. Yes, I totally support and believe their message because it's aligned with my beliefs, but I don't like the gamesmanship and sort of the, you know, the, the shock value of the commentators trying to make it a, a show and a, a performance. It's, you know, we're, we're out of sensibility now. Can I ask you this question as a liberal? Um, do you feel like the left has become the right and the right has kind of become the left? Like it, it, everyone has like flipped the switch somehow? Yeah, there's some weird issues where like, uh, you know, the, the death penalty, right? That's a classic, right. um, you know, of a conservative position and a liberal position. Yeah. Uh, but I'm thinking like, well, you know, why not just why not just get rid of these guys? And then, you know, the the liberal uh, mindset will be like, "What are you talking about? That's a disgrace to their human rights. They're human beings." And it's like, "Yeah, but they killed people." You know, it's like it's not yeah. so simple to to categorize everything. So I'm I'm kind of you know, there's that that libertarian bent that creeps in on all of us, where you know we're frustrated with the government. We think they're doing stupid shit with our money, and so you know, couldn't we just uh, you know have everything be a free for all? But I think it's all a matter of striking a balance, especially when it comes to politics where, you know, the pendulum's swinging this way, then it's swinging back. And thank gosh for democracy where any kind of crazy shit that Trump does in his years in office, a lot of that stuff will probably be tr very hard. You know, the Democrats will try to unwind it and get us back to the pendulum swinging the other way. It, and therefore, it we, happens yeah, that way. You know, we, we go back and forth and, and, and all this stuff and and. People say, well, why don't you care more about politics? And it's like, look, I, I can't change it. You know, I, no matter what we've done in our lives, no matter how much yelling you do on Facebook or whatever, you're not changing anything. Uh, you know, I, I have a friend who's uh, very, very liberal. And I said, you know, I'm not sure if Trump won as much as Hillary lost. 
Oh man, I I was listening to the radio on election night. I was driving in Northern California and I left, you know, my sister's house and it was, it seemed everyone thought that Hillary was going to win going into the very last night. And then when I left and hit the road, there's like, well, there's some uncertainty here. We still are not able to call Wisconsin and all this. And the radio commentator said my most memorable one-liner, he goes, I just want to say, Whoever loses this election will go down in history as the worst candidate of all time because the winner is going to be the worst president of all, you know, like these two people had so much, you know, dirt and baggage against them. And that was, that was pretty funny. So yeah, whatever. It's just crazy that we go back and forth with that. And we, we, we have to walk away from it at some point. And as I tell my buddy, the liberal, uh, you know, the super liberal, um, I said, you know what? If you keep messing around like this and trying to impeach this guy, you're going to end up getting him elected again. Why don't you go out, why don't you guys go out as a group and find someone who could beat him? That's the way you win. Not by trying, you know, it's kind of like you were talking in the last podcast, you know, a soccer game was going on and there was an infraction and they gave it to the other team on the infraction. You guys are trying to win on an infraction now. That doesn't make Hillary, if you impeach this guy, Hillary still does not become president. Now you have a religious kook running the country. So good luck with either one or, or whatever you have. And I know this is confusing. It's like, wait a minute, is he right or is he left? No, I'm actually in the middle. I'll just come out and say it. I, I, I've, I, I, don't, I don't tell anyone which side I'm on. I'm just in the middle. And I love looking at it because everybody is just running scared right now. Uh, but you do look around, and unemployment is at the lowest it's been in a gazillion years, and the stock market seems to be fine. And and all of this is while he's up there tweeting. So maybe tweeting is the way to go. I don't know. Having, don't know he's don't having uh, McDonald's hamburgers because he has uh, paranoia about getting poisoned. So he, he lives on McDonald's hamburgers, is that, apparently. Is that a fact? That's what Cardi B told me. Remember when she read a passage from his book on the on the Grammys? It was classic. Go, I, I don't watch TV. I'm not yeah, kidding. Yeah. I, I, no, I, no. Go search YouTube for... Uh, uh, Cardi B audio book audition for the Trump book. Oh, it's hilarious. And all these celebrities took, took a turn reading from his audio book for the getting, cause there's an audio, uh, audio book award, they get a Grammy for the best audio book. And it's oh, a really? true story. It's not on the TV show because it's not exciting, but it was a joke that the, the host put up and it was pretty <laughs> funny. Yeah. Uh, so here we are with fitness expert Vinny Tortorich. <laughs> and you can tell we probably got a little warmed up doing a show on his channel and getting off on all these tangents. And we're just true to form here, getting political on our health, fitness, peak performance show. But I want to talk about your podcast, man, because, uh, you know, offline we were, we were pondering whether you could be the most prolific podcaster <laughs> in the world right now because you do so many shows a week. And a lot of guys do a daily show. There's the entrepreneur show that's five minute, five minute manager and uh, these, these tidbit right. shows. But you're putting up, you're putting up content where you're, you're banking the hours. You're spending a lot of time in this studio, man. Yeah, we, uh, you, you made me think about it. You know, the shows, the Monday show is always like an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, the Wednesday show is supposed to be 20 minutes long. It's never shorter than 45 minutes. The Friday show normally goes an hour and a half. The Saturday show, which you were just on, that's supposed to be a 30-minute show. We went well north of an hour. 
And uh, we had to correct all these uh, improprieties in, in society, like the yeah. youth sports, the helicopter parents, the NCAA <laughs> corruption, all that stuff. We had to settle the doping and in, in cycling and other sports. We did. We ran the gamut on that show, man. I, at the end of the show, I was going, "We need to do a show together." And then I realized I'm already doing five shows every week, and that goes on year in and year out. We're at something like close to 1,100 shows. You know, yeah, this is like show 1074 was the one I was listening to on the way over here going, wait <laughs> a second, 1074, that, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so how did this come to be? I mean, one day, once upon a time, uh, how many years ago? Tell me how you started this thing and how it grew to this monster. Interesting uh, concept. Um, I was, uh, I, you know, we had the, the big, I had three things happen in my life. You know, I talk about failure quotient a lot. Uh, in 2007, I had cancer. So I was out of work. You know, I've been a fitness trainer here in Hollywood for, you know, 25 years at the point. And um, I had cancer, so I had to take a long time off. And I was living off of my savings. And, and then when I came back, it turned out I, I lived. So yay, I got to live. And then right after that, the writer's strike in L.A. hit. So when I worked with a lot of people in Hollywood, you know, actors and whatever, and when writers aren't writing, actors aren't acting, and I was out of work. So I went for a long period. It was like the longest writer strike because at some point, SAG got involved in the same strike. So all of my clients were gone. And I'm looking around going, I need money to pay for cancer. And no one is around to train anymore. So I started picking up what we call lay people, just irregular people with regular jobs. Extras. No, like, um, uh, you know, real estate agents and stuff like that. You know, just anybody who I could train at a reduced rate. I was just trying to bring in income. And then uh, we had the big bubble of 2008. So I went from bad to worse to worse. And I wasn't making money. Uh, literally, I was down to two or three of my favorite clients, like Howie Mandel. Was, he's a good friend, and he was still a client. And a couple of rock stars who were still on the road. But they're on the road a lot, and I'm only training them when they're off the road. So I was in trouble. And one of my clients, a guy named Dean Laurie, who um, you may know him from things like um, Arrested Development and My Wife and Kids and Major Pain. You know, he wrote all that stuff. And he's, he kept saying to me, you should write a book. Just go write a book. And I was like, Dean, I'm not. He goes, no, you wrote a kid's book years ago, and you were good at it. You, you should do it again. And He's he, a writer? He's a writer yeah. and director and producer in Hollywood. The, the guy basically, he's running shows all the time in Hollywood. So it's not your grandma saying write a book. It's some writer saying write a book. You better listen. Yeah, yeah. and he, he, he was even saying that. He kept saying, most people come to me and want me to write a book for him. I'm telling you, I will help you write a book. And I him and hard for like six or eight months. And he, he begged me to start writing notes. So I bought a stack of uh, yellow notepads. You know, they come in a cellophane pack. <laughs> I hope the big ones at least, man, not, not the square ones. Well, it's just, you know, the... Yeah, yeah. Oh, the know, legal pads. Legal yeah, pads. Yeah. The big not, the, not the post-it notes. You're not no, doing no, a book like on post-it notes. right there. Yeah, right there we the go. And okay, that's legit. Dr. I, Seuss writes on legal pads. Yeah. So I, I wrote, uh, I, I kept one in my truck. Uh, I had a, a big Dodge pickup truck. And whenever I had a thought and I would be at a stoplight... I would jot down notes, and I, I can't type. I'm not really good with the computer, but 
every night I would take whatever was in my truck, and sometimes it was the back of envelopes, it was a napkin, it was all kinds of stuff. And I would sit at my computer and peck out these notes into um, Word program or something. Serena came in here and set up Word and go, all right, just press this button and then go and peck your notes into that. And about once a week, uh, Serena would come in and send my notes to Dean so that I wouldn't accidentally erase them or some weird thing. I'm really that bad with the computer. So that was all going on. One night I'm having a drink with Dean and he says, you realize you've written almost 45,000 words of notes. And I was like, really? What does that even mean? He goes, most books are not even 60,000 words anymore. You've written a whole book in notes. And he goes, you've never written the same note twice. And I was like, wow. He goes, as a matter of fact, I've been collecting your notes and putting them in a category. Why don't you come over and we can look at them? So I went over, and the day I went over to look at them, we worked for like four hours together. And every day after that, we worked for two hours. And uh, at the end of like five or six months, we had a book. And he took it right over to William Morris. For people not in Hollywood, that's, that's the play. You know, that's where... Talent agency for various actors, performers, writers, whatever. Yeah, like big the time. big place. Yeah. yeah. And they said, hey, we know who Vinny is because he's been training our clients mm. for 25 years. But we Googled Vinny. He does not exist on the internet. <laughs> so Dean called me that night and he said, you need to go get famous on the internet. Quick. Yeah, like right yeah. now, go get famous on the internet. I'm a 50-year-old guy. I'm like 49. I'm like, I'm famous on the internet? How do you do that? Don't you have to like shoot up Columbine? How do you get famous on the internet? So I came home and I pecked into Google how to become famous on the internet. <laughs> and um, I, I, there was a girl named Jenna Marbles. Do you even remember her? Sounds familiar. She... She had like five gazillion hits on YouTube. She was a young girl sitting on the edge of her bed in her bedroom in a bikini, crying and pouting because she didn't get to go to spring break and she bought this brand new bikini for spring break and she decided to do a video because she wanted someone to see her new bikini. And I went, okay, I don't have a bikini, so I can't do that. So I clicked on something else and a guy had a like a squirrel duct taped to a set of water skis and he's got the squirrel water skiing behind like a little remote control boat. And I went, okay, I don't have a squirrel, duct tape, or a boat. You know, nothing. I, I had, so. You had no game, man. Bring no, it. I had yeah. nothing. So the next day, I'm talking to my nephew down in Louisiana, and I'm telling him about my dilemma. And he goes, uh, you should do a podcast. And I said, uh, what, what is that? I've never even heard these words wow. before. He said, you did a radio show back in New Orleans back in the 80s. I said, yeah, Talking Fitness. It was one of the most popular shows on WSMB. He goes, yeah, I remember I was a little kid and everyone talked about you, your uncle's a great broadcaster on, on this thing. He, he said, that's what a podcast is. And I was like, so explain this pod card again. How, how does this work? And he goes, podcast, and it's on the computer. And uh, you just put shows up and they're free and people will listen. And you'll get an audience, and then maybe you can sell your book. And uh, I went, okay. So I called my friend. She wasn't a friend. She was a friend of a friend, Anna Vocino. And I said, Anna, you're a voiceover person. Do you have like a, a recording device of some sort? <laughs> she said, yeah. Why? I said, you ever hear of something called a podcast? 
She goes, yeah, we did like 10 of them like a year ago. Me and my husband sat down there were like, you know, like funny podcasts. Like we did stories. I said, did they go anywhere? She goes, yeah, a bunch of people listened, but that was about it. I said, would you do another one? She said, no. <laughs> I said, please. And she goes, no, it's a lot of work. And I said, tell you what, Anna, I have a book on PDF. W- would you read my book? And she goes, what's it about? I said, health and fitness. She goes, yeah, I need to lose weight. And we're leaving for vacation tonight. And uh, so I came home and said, Serena, you have to send this book in PDF form because I don't know how to do any of this. Send it to this girl, Anna Vocino. And she called me. She was in Hawaii. She called me on the second day. And she said, I've read the entire book. I couldn't put it down. And I will do whatever you want to do. Wow. And that's how we started a podcast. Um, She agreed to do six. So we did all six in one day, and I released three right away, and then I released another three a week later. And then I said to Anna, I said, can we do another six? And every Sunday, we would sit there for six hours and do six. All in a row. Yeah, we would just sit there, and I would talk for six hours. And um, at some point, she would leave the room, go make breakfast for her husband and kid, come back and go, ah, ha, 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 that was funny, and then go run out and make breakfast again. And you know, lunch and the family would go off and we just did that. And the, we didn't realize it at first, but the show was getting more and more popular because there weren't a bazillion podcasts back then. But we started building an audience. And that's, talking the, that's about, the whole podcast story. You're talking like health and fitness topics right out of the gate, the no sugar, no grains, or what, what was, what was yeah. your angle at the start? Um, we called it the Angriest Trainer Podcast at first. Uh, we changed the name later on to Fitness Confidential Podcast. But um, we were pretty positive that no one was paying attention whatsoever. And we, we would spend the whole show just doing smutty type of stuff. Like, uh, and, uh, I know this is a clean show, but I, so I'll keep this clean. But we did a whole show coming up with every derogatory term we could come up with for a woman's vagina. <laughs> and that became early podcasting. Most, yeah, yeah, because we were we were certain that no one was listening. And then one day So um, what do you have to lose? Might as well. Yeah, it was like we were sitting there, you know, just coming up with these horrible terms and laughing about it and the whole thing. And then Anna calls me one day and she goes, we're number three on on <laughs> iTunes and your podcast is and new and noteworthy. And I said, well, how many people are listening? She goes, I don't know. Nobody knew at the time. And about three months after that, I got a call from a woman, which is odd because now I'm actually part of the show. I got a call from a woman who said she worked for Adam Carolla's podcast. And she said, what kind of numbers are you getting? And I said, I don't know. iTunes doesn't give us numbers. And she goes, you have to be big because you're all over iTunes. So go hook up to something called Lipson. I was like, how does that spell that again? How does that work? So we called Rob Walsh over at Lipson and said, can you put us in your thing? And he goes, yeah. And right away we found out in that first month we had like, um, we were doing back then like one or two shows a week and we had 40,000 downloads or something. And we thought that was like a crazy number back then. You know, and that's that's how we started figuring out that people were listening. And I started going, and I don't think we should do many of those vagina. But we were already down that road, so we just kept it going, you know. Hey, ladies. 
You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhanced pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. I'm pleased to present BRAD grass-fed whey protein isolate superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the superfuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the superfuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Maybe that's part of the beauty of it, that it's unfiltered because we're coming into this world from the mainstream media, which is now, it's, it's so dated and archaic. And it's, you, you know, you, you write a book like, like your book and you get on, if you're lucky, you get on the Today Show for, for four minutes and they say, tell us about your book. And you have your, your canned presentation yeah. and then you're gone and then you're forgotten about. But now you can have this medium where the person can really get to know you and, and get deep into stuff. I think it's fantastic. You know, that's very true. You know, it, you know, we ended up 
we, we, we were offered two book deals, Simon & Schuster and Harper Wave, which is Harper Collins. And both of them were offering me, you know, like uh, $20,000, but they wanted me to split the book into two. Mm. So one of them was offering me $40,000 for the two books up front. And the other one was offering me 50 something thousand dollars for the two books. And I said, but you realize I have a big audience. At the time, I had like 60000 coming in a month on the podcast. And, I, and they were like, we don't even know what a podcast is. And I was like, no, but I think of a football stadium being full of 60,000 people. All of these people are going to buy my book. And they were like, yeah, right, whatever. So I called Dean and I said, Dean, what do you say we self-publish this book? And that's what we did. Mm. And the difference between self-publishing and a the book has made a lot of money because we get 70, like 75% of every dollar. If we had gone with one of those companies, that would have been it because they, they will give you the big push for about a month. And then now they're pushing another book. This book has been selling for what, five years now, five and a half years. And the first year it, it made an ungodly amount of money and that wouldn't have happened. Um, but more so than the money, we put it into a lot of people's hands. And that's the big thing. When you could put a book in someone's hands and it could change their life, and we started getting these before and afters that people were sending in, I read your book, I've lost 100 pounds. Then you go, money doesn't matter. This is not about money. You know, the money allowed me to cover my cancer bills and all that. You know, I owed a lot of money to a lot of people. And I don't believe much in God. But boy, like some, something stepped in and helped, you know? And um, I started looking at that going, holy shit, you know, the universe, so to speak, kind of came in. And, and I don't believe in all that universe stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, so the book allowed me to get my life back and then help other people. And that's when I decided, okay, you almost died of cancer. Now you can spend the rest of your life helping other people because you got to live. And been doing that that approach ever since. Well, I think you were doing that beforehand too. And I want you to tell your story about the uh, training the centerfolds to to keep trim after they win that big success. <laughs> and then you had the the woman in the office, the you know the afterthought that wasn't wasn't a big star. Uh, but I want to hear that that whole thing because it's such a character revealing insight. It's my favorite thing I heard from you when you know we we talked in the past, and I think it. It, it says a lot about you that that's where you were coming from from the start and then starting that podcast and doing it for fun and being real and authentic and having some goofy times yeah. and uh, you know people just are are drawn to that because we're so sick of the bullshit but yeah take us back to those early days in Hollywood when you came out here and, and decided to be a trainer yeah you know I, I had been a trainer in, in New Orleans you know from the time I was at Tulane in the early 80s and it was kind of before trainers were a thing. Um, and I had a degree in, in physical education and exercise physiology. And, uh, you know, I was just doing my thing. I was also um, working at Newman School as their strength and conditioning sports. Um, oh, that's uh, the Cardinal Newman were the Manning brothers? Yeah, the big, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Even cool. I've heard of that guy yeah. in California, man. That's big time. Yeah, it's um, uh, I coached um, um, Cooper uh, and also um, um, Peyton Manning. Cooper was actually, in my opinion, I think Peyton would say the same thing, was the best athlete of the Manning. Wide receiver. Yeah, he had a bone marrow problem, and he had to stop playing football. He was at Ole Miss. I actually, <laughs> I actually took that kid on spring break. I, I, you know, I used to chaperone those kids, um, Cooper and all of his friends. That was the good old days, and 
in 91, I came out here and I didn't know a soul. And uh, why'd you come? The weather, the weather. Um, I, you know, I would come out here to visit. I had a friend that lived out here for a while. He was a chef and it would rain in New Orleans all winter. And I would come out here with my bike and uh, ride my bike around for in midwinter. And I would go, there's no rain. This is not cold. This is great. This is unbelievable. Oh my God. Could I possibly move here? I think I'm the only person that moved to LA to be a trainer. Like most people come here to be an actor or something or whatever. I moved here to be a trainer and uh, couldn't really make money at it at first because didn't know anyone. And um, someone introduced me, I don't know how, but I got introduced to this woman who worked at Playboy and uh, her husband was from Louisiana. So we, you know, someone knew her and the whole thing and, she took me for lunch and, and I said, yeah, I'm trying to make it out here and I don't know anyone. I'm just trying to get some clients. And when I walked her back to her desk that day at Playboy, I, I met this woman, Dana, who was probably wider than she was tall. And um, I went, wow. You know, started talking to Dana and she was like, yeah, I used to be really thin and the whole thing and gained all this weight and so on and so forth. And I started working with Dana and uh, she couldn't afford a whole lot. And back in New Orleans, I was charging $135 a session to be a trainer, which was a lot of money in 1985 in New Orleans. I said, Dana, what could you afford? And she said, how many times a week? And I said, every day. And she said, she goes, it's embarrassing. I can't. I said, you have to pay me something because if I do it for free, you're not going to respect it. What amount of money can you give me? She goes, I, she goes, I know these trainers out here make 150 200 bucks an hour. I said, no, no. I'm not asking you what you think I should make. I'm asking you what hurts. And I said, I need to see you five days a week. And she said, can I get back to you? I said, yeah, here's my phone number. Call me. She called me a few days later and she goes, this is really embarrassing. I said, Dana, shut up. Just tell $15, she says. She did that. She ran some numbers at home on the spreadsheet. She did. Right. I said, great, $15 due at the end of every week. And I said, if you ever miss unless you're really sick or something for real, I'm done. I need your full attention and you have to eat. I'm going to tell you what to eat. I'm going to tell you everything, but you have to pay me $15 for every time at the end of the week. Sure. And I said, if anyone ever asks what you're paying, tell them you don't know. Tell them that a friend of yours is paying or something. Just don't because, and I took a ton of weight. I took, uh, I don't know, 150, 160 pounds off of her. She looked amazing. It was this, this beautiful body underneath this, all of this fat. And um, people around Playboy started taking note. And a couple of the VPs started noticing. And then, hey, can you come over to my house? And yeah, I come over and help you out. And started training a couple of those. And one of them knew that Playboy had a problem because they would take these girls from the Midwest and they would make them playmates. And next thing you know, they're, they're getting wined and dined by every sitcom star there is right so these girls start gaining weight and that's not good for business because playboy has them under contract for two years after they do their their centerfold and the last thing they wanted was fat playmates so one of the vps of the playmates said hey would you would you consider working with a couple of these girls and let's see what we can do and that's that was my end that's that's how it happened <laughs> I couldn't have planned that any other way. I mean, it was just happenstance. 
Yeah, I mean, you don't believe in the, the, the woo-woo signs from the universe, but the fact that you had the time and energy to take someone who was, you know, not a, not a prominent person that was going to leverage you into your own career success. Right. You just wanted to help that lady, and especially the story about the money. I didn't know that, but that's, you know, it's beautiful, man. And like, if, if you're a young, struggling trainer listening to the show and realizing what, what you're really all about as a personal trainer, or even as a, a realtor, where you're, you're driving these people around and you're showing them all these houses and they're, they're, they're not ready to make a commitment, but you're in that career and your yeah. purpose is to help someone realize the American dream, you don't judge it or, or think that it was a failure day because you didn't make an offer. You're just in it for, you're in it for the total commitment and then, you know, great things happen. An amazing story. So you kind of zeroed in on the weight loss expertise from the very start and you have this, this tagline on the hats, NSNG, no sugars, no grains, which I think is of all the primal paleo ancestral health community, that's the most brilliant trademark and succinct encapsulation. So when we're sitting on an airplane seat and you, you say what you're all about, I'm, I'm all about NSNG. And then, you know, that's the opening where the person gets the immediate insight. So how'd you come up with that? And where did that start to come into the picture? Was that Dana's message five days a week or how did it that was, go? Um, I, you know, wow, I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but uh, I, I started looking at sugar first very, very early on. Uh, you know, I, I was always interested in how people got fat um, because my feeling was when people back in the 80s, you didn't see many fat people, but every now and then somebody would, you you would go, couldn't they see that they were getting fat and why couldn't they do something about it? Or, it's not like they woke up one morning, poof, fat, you know? And I started thinking about it. I was like, well, what if they're getting fat in spite of themselves? Just despite everything they're doing, they're still getting fat, right? Nobody goes, hey, I want to be fat. I want to be unhealthy. I want, I want to feel like I'm, uh, I'm going to pass out every time I bend over to tie my shoes. No one has that feeling, Right. And then I started looking at different things and thinking about different things. And I remember football coaches in high school going, well, we got to get some corn in that boy. I got to beef him up a bit. Oh, get, get some potatoes in that boy. It was always eat starchy stuff to gain weight, you know. Yeah, those big corn-fed linemen from the Midwest, you know, you would always hear this stuff. And, and uh, when, I was getting, when I was going through labs one day, um, at Tulane, we had someone hooked up. We were doing VO2 max and this kind of thing. And we would get athletes from the track team and, and all this kind of stuff. And we would hook them up. You know, it looks like a Gatorade commercial. You got all the, the EKG stuff on them. You have the mask over their face, catching their respiration. We would prick them in the finger to get the lactose level and the whole thing. It wasn't like today where you can almost just measure it with a wand. You know, we had these people hooked to a thousand oh, yeah. things. And... I always noticed that we would have these people at anaerobic thresholds, sometimes for like 28 minutes, 30 minutes, until their legs gave out. And I would look at the calorie expenditure, and it was always something like 246 on some of these well-heeled athletes, you know, 285, this kind of thing. And I would sit there and go, we talk a lot about calorie in, calorie out. And I know this experiment isn't about that, but I'm always that curious guy going, I know we're not looking at this number, but I'm looking at this number. No one else seems in the lab, you know, they're just seeing what his anaerobic threshold is because they're trying to calculate something else. It, I would look at that number and go, calorie in, calorie out, and we're telling people to exercise to lose weight is not adding up. And wow. 
I was sitting on a bench outside of Tulane one day with this girl, Linda. And um, we were having some lunch, and Linda had a, a bag of M&Ms. And remember when M&Ms, they didn't come in a super-sized bag, just a regular-sized bag? It was just like a handful of Fits M&Ms. Fits in your palm. Yeah. The it, bag. It, the whole bag, was that was a serving. Now we have super-duper-sized, buy a pound at a time or whatever. That's a serving. And Linda, after she had her sandwich, she, she was shaking out some M&Ms. She goes, would you like some? And I went, yeah. So I grabbed the bag. And I shake some out of my hand, and I look at the back, and I said, huh. And she goes, what? I said, I'm just looking at the calories on this, just total calories. She goes, yeah. I said, total calories is close to 200. And she goes, yeah. I said, we just had that guy up in, in the gym, and he- Running his ass off. Yeah he, yeah, he was about to throw up by the time we stopped that treadmill, and he barely got over 200 calories, you know? And she goes, Yeah. I said, so how in the hell can we tell people? Because Jane Fonda was just coming in with the, the aerobics and the whole thing. I said, we're telling people they can exercise fat away, but you can exercise for an hour. You eat a bag of M&Ms, you're almost right back where you started. I said, how far do people go when they, when they jog? She goes, I don't know, three, four miles. I said, yeah, three, four miles. That's not even a bag of M&Ms. What about, what about the, the breakfast you had that morning? What about the grits? We were in Louisiana. What about this? What about that? You have French fries with this. There's no way we can run off. We can't outrun a diet. This cannot be right. And it was my first inclination that calorie in, calorie out. And I knew about Atkins because he was hot for five minutes in the 70s. And I would think about Atkins. And I read something from this longevity group where these guys... Um, they, they figured with longevity, if they just cut out carbohydrates, they can live to be 110. And they said one of the byproducts of this group was that nobody had any fat on them and they didn't exercise. And I'm thinking about all this, but then there were all those nagging problems, cholesterol, heart disease. You know, I was just hanging on to all that going, well, this all has to be true, right? I mean, this is what the guy- That's bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, how is it that fat can be so good, yet at the same time be so bad? It just wasn't jiving with me. And I'm just a curious guy that over the years, I would just play with it. And every time a socialite in New Orleans, once I started my training business, would say, I need to fit in this dress by this date, I would say, okay, every carb, gone. Grits, gone. Bread, gone. Pasta, out of here. Potatoes, gone. Or what am I supposed to eat? Red meat, pork, chicken, eat that, eat some eggs. Oh, it's cholesterol. Were you trying to kill me? And I would always say to him, it won't kill you to do it for three weeks. Ooh, try it out. You know, just give it a shot. And that's how I started playing around with it. This is incredible because you're basically, you know, you're putting together the insights like like a scientist and kind of blending the, those Atkins insights were, were put out there that if yeah. you if you reduce your insulin you're gonna you're gonna burn body fat but the exercise part I mean this is what over thirty years ago now yeah. and we're now finally you can Google the compensation theory of exercise and the science showing there was a Time magazine article maybe a couple of years ago you can Google this and it says the exercise myth was the cover story on Time and then the subtitle said something like we were wrong about exercise it actually doesn't really help you lose weight because it creates a 
uh, compensatory increase in appetite and caloric expenditure, and you actually become lazier throughout the day because you did your workout, sort of uh, consciously and subconsciously. Like, oh, I did my workout this morning, so I'm just going to, you know, sit here. My my favorite uh, anecdote from when I was a triathlete and training all day and putting in the hours and the two, three hundred miles a week on the bike, I would drive to the mailbox to get my mail. It was six tenths of a mile, and there was a little hill on on the route. So, but you know, I just get home from an 84 mile ride and I'm recovering and taking my nap and having my, uh, my, my, my fuel and all that. And I, I need to go get in a car to go get the mail, not walk there for a nice stroll and look at the stars or whatever, take the dog out for a little jaunt. But I had done so much training that the rest of my life, I was a complete deadbeat. I mean, the Tour de France guys are famous for this. They lose yeah. bone density in three weeks time. They, they have a huge reduction in bone density because they're never standing up. They're either lying down or sitting in a bus right. or sitting on a bike. So that, that's amazing that you put those two together. Yeah, and- but my big problem was I thought that if people did it for long periods, that it would kill them because all the science just went in that direction. Um, and then the other side was, was the athletic side. Well, if you want to be an athlete, you had to have carbohydrates and you had to have a great amount of them. So... I, I was kind of a two-faced trainer. If you came to me and told me you wanted to run a marathon, I would put you on high carbs. You know, I, I was no different than anyone else. I would go, look, you know, I get that fat is good, but fat is not what you need. Carbs are what you need. So, and I did the same thing when I was doing all of my ultras. You know, I would live on carbohydrates. Um, but then at the end of the year, when I would go three or four months of just relaxing and not doing any ultras, I would go, okay, time to get off the carbs because I don't want to get fat for January when I get back on the bike again. It's so common. If, if you're not an ultra-endurance athlete, I mean, this happens to people. They put on 10 pounds like in 10, nobody's business. 20, 30. <laughs> Brutal. Just go right up. And I didn't want that to happen while I wasn't doing all the extra exercise. So I would just go back to my high-fat diet again. And, um, and people go, how did you figure out the high-fat part? And it's like, well, because... If you just eat protein, you're still hungry. You know, you have to eat something with the protein. And I would never, you know, I, I would never go ketogenic back then, but I wouldn't have French fries or anything like that. Right. Uh, I would have rice or I would have every now and then a potato or something, but it was mostly fat so that I wouldn't gain weight. <laughs> and then I would wait and, you know, I would go, okay, I made it through Thanksgiving. I didn't have any of the junk for Thanksgiving. Now I'm going to skate. And for Christmas, I'm going to my mom's house. I'm going to just, and then I would probably gain five pounds between Christmas and New Year's. And then it would happen that fast. You know, eating the pecan pies and all the the stuff that you remember mom for. You know, I, I remember just going through that holy hell and then try to take it off in January when I got back on the bike. So you're getting these insights yourself with your own road testing of the different fuel sources. I wonder how that one liner went down, what, 25 years ago, that you're eating a lot of fat so that you don't gain weight. That's absolutely mind-blowing that long ago. It, it was. And um, a lot of people would go, oh, this is just Atkins, right? And I would go, yeah, Atkins, that's what we're doing. You know, It was a little different than Atkins when I was prescribing, but... And then they would go, doesn't Atkins, all these say, doesn't Atkins cause gout? No, not that I know of. I read a thing that says Atkins causes gout. You know, It wasn't called low carb back then. It was called Atkins. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I heard you can only stay on Atkins for 30 days and then you gain all the way back plus some more. 
Well, yeah, if you stop and you start eating ice cream again, then of course, you know, it was just this crazy time, you know? Yeah, our, our minds are not open to these things. I mean, yeah. even today in 2018, I'm sure listeners to the show of the Fitness Confidential or, or, or this show are, are a little bit more open-minded and have been exposed to this message, but the average person is still totally locked in to that concept of calories oh, yeah. in, calories out, fat is bad, grain-based diet, regular meals, control your blood sugar, have a snack, yeah. and it's taken... It's taken a long time to just even chip away at the at the big monsters of the the food companies and the governmental advice that's you know been a disastrous failure. Well, you know the thing I started following along with, and it was around the early two thousands when you know we started figuring out, and the computer helped us with this. Once I figured out how to get on Google, and I could start, you know, you would find out that all of these you know studies that were done by these Harvard doctors and every everything else was all, you know, bullshit. The, the abstracts wasn't telling the full story because basically we read abstracts, you know, mm -hmm. we, we don't read full reports. And when you start looking at some of that stuff and you go, wait a minute, th this is wrong and that's wrong. And all the statins that were being handed out, you know, I started looking at that going, we're handing out a lot of statins, yet there's more heart disease than ever. Where's all this coming from? You know, I've always been a guy that just questions everything. And you know, I'm, I'm curious. That's how I got off of the bayou. That's how I ended up in Beverly Hills. I'm just curious. And it's like, well, wait, that doesn't seem to make sense. Why? You know, and whenever you start digging into that, you start learning more and more that you weren't getting the real story. Well, you're also testing this out yourself, doing your, your ultras and uh, noticing the the, the, the strategy of having fat in the off season and maintaining your weight while everyone else is gaining weight. Tell me a little bit about your, you know, your immersion into the ultra scene and what that's all about. I read a, I read an article sometime. It was when I was at Newman school. Um, I was riding my bike a lot and uh, I read an article about a race called the Ram. Oh, baby. And, uh, Race guy. Across America, R-A-A-M, probably the craziest athletic event we've seen yeah. in history, especially the, the old time where they had the solo nonstop race for an individual rider going from coast to coast. Now yeah. I think they, they got rid of that nonsense and they have teams or they have stop periods, but this used to be the gun went off on the West Coast right. and whoever got to New York City or Washington, D.C. first was the winner. Crazy. Yeah, and they had to follow a certain route. That was and well, that'd I be think, fun if you get I to pick a different solo, route. <laughs> the solo thing, they you can still do whatever you want. You, you could just go and go and go. The solos can still do whatever they want. Oh, I thought they have like a man, some mandatory periods because the guy died that fell asleep. That the writer. Oh, yeah. Um, what they do is uh, they have mandatory. It's not much though. Um, they have mandatory after so many days. You have to. You can't go for like four hours or something because these guys would literally just amble down the road with no stopping whatsoever. But when they, when they put these stops in, I crewed it for a friend, after, and it was not much better. It's, it's the same thing. They, they can basically go and go and go and mm -hmm. go. Um, but it's a race. It's a nonstop race across America. When people think of tough races, you think are tough things like climbing Everest or K2, this is tougher than that. I agree. I, I would also like to say I crewed for Johnny G in the oh, Ram in 1989, and that was... 
the most difficult athletic event I've ever done as a crew member a crew sitting member. in a car. It yeah. was vastly more difficult than anything you could imagine. And it was, it's absolutely amazing what these people put themselves through. And oh my gosh, it was stunning. I'm shocked that more crews don't kill themselves because you're driving tired and you know, you're worn right, out and yeah. you, you start hallucinating as a crew member. And you can only imagine <laughs> crew member. What, yeah. what the guy's going through up there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the crazy thing is, is that I read, I read about Pete Pinsiers. There was, you know, he had just set the, the record and the whole thing. Yeah, this was this mild-mannered engineer guy from San Diego who was the first guy to, we'll give him credit for inventing basically the aero position that we see yeah. now. But I remember he commuted to work 40 miles each way every day. That's right. And so he rode his bike 80 miles a day and then he got on his bike and it was on Wide World of Sports. That's why it became such a fascination yeah. was everyone saw this guy and he'd just turn on his bike and pedal for, I believe his schedule was like 22 and a half hours of pedaling every day, a couple quick naps or whatever, and he got across the country in eight, nine days. They, you know, the record time is around there. Something. Unbelievable. And the guy that was pushing him was a guy named Jonathan Boyer, who, if people want to know who Jonathan Boyer is, he is the guy who led the way for the eventual um, uh, Lance Armstrong. Because Greg after, LeMond. I mean, Greg he LeMond, was the first American yeah. to finish the Tour de France. And he was, he was based in Europe, so he had to go away from America. There was no bike racing here. And he, he had that amazing distinction of being American finishing the Tour back in, what, before Le Mans? So it was 70s uh, and seven, early seven. 80s or something. Yeah, the, the guy goes down in history as one of the greats. Uh, he led the way for Greg LeMond after him. Um, and also um, uh, uh, Hampstead, Hampstead. Right, Andy Hampstead. All yeah. the Americans, the 7-Eleven team that came to the tour was right. all inspired by Boyer finishing this thing. Yeah, uh, he was the first guy. He, he I, I don't want to get into it, but he got into a little trouble at some point. Um, my rec- What I'm told is he owned up to it. He Something got out of hand. I don't want to really get into it, but he's always been a hero in my book. So I don't, I don't know how you feel about the guy, but... After Jonathan Boyer, uh, Jonathan Boyer got behind uh, Pete Pinsiers. And I don't know if you remember this from that, but um, uh, who was the announcer who was doing this? Lampley. Jim Lampley. Yeah. Jim Lampley is following this um, for NBC Sports. And he, Jim Lampley cannot believe what he's seeing. It's like these guys have been riding nonstop. They went for like 40 hours or 48 hours and um, Jonathan Boyer pulls over and Lampley goes over to um, interview him. He goes, yeah, I can't, you know, I, I have a big lead here. <clears throat> I'm going to hunker down for the night, this sort of thing. And uh, it might have been after 24 hours. That, that was the deal. He goes, I, I've been out here for 24 hours. I have a big lead. I'm good to go. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hunker down for five or six hours. Uh, no one's going to catch me. Uh, and, and while he's doing the interview, Pete Pensier's, just zooms past him on the bike and he says, sorry, Jim, got to go. And they went for another 24 hours. They went like 48 hours and that became the legend. These guys pushed each other across the country. And at the end, Jonathan Boyer called it a, um, not a bike race, but a sleep deprivation competition. Right, right. And uh, that's how he got that record. Jonathan pushed him across the country. 
Well, this guy, Paul Solon from the Bay Area, he was a lawyer in San Francisco and uh, had his day. And I believe he broke the record and said at one point, but he had some misfortune out on the road and he, his neck muscles literally gave out on him. His name was uh, Shermer. Oh, this is Paul Solon I'm talking about. But Paul Solon went into the emergency room somewhere in the Midwest because he could not lift his head up anymore. Right. And he had this spasm and this complete, you know, the, the muscle tension in the neck when you're cycling is, is pretty severe for a four-hour ride. And yeah. so this guy just fell apart and he refused to be admitted to the ER. And instead he rigged up like a pulley weight system with fishing weights so that his helmet would be yanked back and anchored so that his head would be affixed to a, a, you know, a forward position so he could could see where he was biking and he carried on and, and crossed the country in eight days. Crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Shermer, who's now a well-known uh, uh, critical thinker, what do they call me? He's a skeptic. Yeah. He writes books. He's an extremely brilliant guy. But he was one of the early guys that won the race. I think he participated six times. He just told Lance Armstrong on his podcast. And these guys were a different breed. I mean, this is you know the farthest limit of human Lon endurance Haldeman, that we've ever seen. Shermer. All those guys. Um, you know, Shermer was on, on my show, uh, the Fitness Confidential Show. And they call it Shermer's Neck. That, that's what it, it, he got the name because um, he he invented, a, he, it kept happening to him. He invented a way where he made a different thing. The first guy was duct taping his head to a stick that was duct taped around his body to hold his head up. Shermer came up with a different thing. It became known as Shermer's Neck. And it's it's a thing. It's happened to me a couple of times. Not so bad, but when it happens, your neck muscles just cease to work. So you're, you're doing whatever you can to keep your, keep your head up. I, I still have, right? I, I used it this morning, my little, um, right over there, you, you, my little neck exercise. I still do my neck exercises, even though wow. I don't cycle much anymore. Yeah. Because you never know when you're going to go, oh, it's time to get back on that bike big time again. And So yeah. what kind of ultras did you do? Were you going for multi-sport or running? Uh, what was your favorite stuff? Just, it was always bikes for me. You know, um, I I parked my car at some point in college after I got out of football. Um, I played football. I was muscled up at like 225, 230. What position? I was a middle linebacker. Oh my goodness, at Tulane? Yeah. Yeah. I was a big guy back then, just all muscled up. And uh, um, after football, um, I gained weight really fast. I went up to like 275, 280, and I was getting a gut. And uh, I said, this is, I looked in the mirror one day, I said, this is not going to happen. And I parked my car and I, I would always just compartmentalize money. And I went, okay, I'm taking my gas money and my pizza money. I had pizza money in college. I'm going to take that and go buy all the bike I can buy. And I went out and bought a, a bicycle, about a hundred bucks and started riding. If I had to go anywhere, I went on the bike. I didn't have gas money in the car and uh, started riding the crap out of a bike and started reading bike magazines and that kind of thing. And that led to me finding ultra cycling. And, uh, you know, I, I always felt you had to be a rich guy to do it. But once I moved out to California in 91, I went, man, there's a lot of roads out here. There's a lot of open expanse. And maybe you don't have to be rich. Maybe you could do some of these races. So I started doing some of the 200-mile oh. deals and all this kind of stuff. And that's, that's kind of how it started. You still do it? No, I, I don't. You know, when 
after after cancer, I did it a few more times. Uh, yeah, in two thousand and eight, I, I did the five hundred eight again. Oh mercy! Race across Oregon. Just prove to yourself, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> going yeah, for that like, five hundred eight is a goal. Yeah, I'm alive. I just want to make sure. The five hundred eight is a five hundred eight mile race, and it's it's used as a qualifying race for the the race across America. But it's yeah. a pretty big deal. Like the best guys are doing this. Yeah. Yeah, people come from all around the world, and um, yeah, did a bunch of that, and. Um, at, at some point, you know, work and business got in the way. And uh, so lately I'm sitting around going, I need to do something. And I came up with this idea. I grew up on the longest bayou in the world. It's 100 miles long. And I started thinking, what if I just took a, a canoe or a kayak or something down that bayou, you know, just end to end, and, you know, where the bayou starts in my hometown, all the way down through the marshland into the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, so I'm planning on doing that. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. I'm pleased to present B-Rad grass-fed whey protein isolate Superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain Lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please 
Don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the super fuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Oh, is this an organized event or is this a Vinny challenge? This what? is just a me challenge. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I thought you were training for some event. This is this is awesome, man. So you're, yeah. you're literally going to go from your hometown and, yeah. and, and paddle through this bayou. With yeah, the... and it's kind of a proof of, because I have to have my shoulder replaced two and a half years ago. Um, foot, old football injury just got really bad. And it's to prove that I'm back again, I can start training again. Um, I got this kayak pro sitting right here in my office. I do a lot of training right here because I can't just go to the beach and paddle every day. And once a week, I go out to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, Stellar Kayaks gave me this beautiful kayak. Someone told me, it's like, that's like a $6,000 kayak. I'm like, Really? You're going to need something good if you're going to go 100 miles, man. Yeah, they gave me like some top-end, you know, it's called the S-18S. It's, uh, I'll show it to you when we walk out. This is this incredible kayak. They gave me the best kind of paddles and the whole thing. And and I'm going to go down the bayou 100 miles and uh, this really cool kayak. So at our age, we're guys in our 50s, longtime athletes. And here you are with this new crazy goal that's giving yeah. you this motivation and this discipline you think that's an important part of life? Do you recommend it for everybody? Is there any sort of downside to going for this extreme stuff where it might compromise your health, especially with the cycling that you transition out of? My contention is uh, some of this stuff in the ultra scene, especially the way people are doing it now where they're not monitoring their heart rate, they're feeding on carbs, and it could be an unhealthy endeavor. But the positive parts where you're lighting up, talking about your kayak, and have this compelling goal to keep you focused and drive to do something seems like a lot of good stuff for your life to balance all the hard work of the world's number one podcaster, you know? Yeah, it's... um, First off, I'm, I'm not challenging myself to finish it in some kind of speed time. Um, I'm actually wearing a heart rate monitor. I'm keeping my heart rate at, you know, between 65 and 70% of, of my aerobic capacity. So that's right around zone two. Um, at one point, I I was going to do it this month, but I started ramping up the training too, too much and I hurt my bad shoulder. So I had to take a week or two off. So I had to reassess. So I pushed it until after hurricane season. So like, I'm going to go in October and do it. Because I, I was trying to ramp up too fast, and even though I was keeping my heart rate correct, I ended up hurting my shoulder. I think a lot of people, I worry about these uh, people who run these marathons all the time, back-to-back, and they never take any time off. I worry about these triathletes and so on and so forth because we're seeing more heart disease from people just overtraining all the time. And it doesn't take that much to do what they're doing. And 
You know, I've always said, if you want to get a good laugh, go pick up a triathlon magazine and read what they're telling you to do. It's crazy. They're trying to get mere mortals to do what these pros are doing. And it's wrong. You know, I, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but... No, this is important stuff. When, I, you, when I, you sit there and you go, well, wait a minute, you're training hard. No, I'm training smart. You know, I'm, I'm not spending all day. I'm not worn out every day from, from being on a, a paddler or when I go out in the Pacific Ocean... You know, I'll even take breaks out there in the ocean and, and watch the dolphins go by and, and look at the seals for a while and, you know, just kind of soak it in. Because after you go through the whole cancer thing, you you kind of just go F it in life. You know, I'm just going to kind of soak this in a bit, you know. And uh, so I'm, I'm trying to enjoy myself with it. And uh, it's taken a little more time than I thought, but I'm okay with that. I think there's a big distinction there that's super important to understand is where the difference between going out there and pushing yourself day after day after day, maybe not to exhaustion every single day, but you're in this mode that we call chronic cardio. Mark Sisson coined that term, and it's something that's so prevalent. And the difference between that and, let's say, setting this wonderful goal for October where you're going to try to paddle 100 miles, so you better be out there and doing some multi-hour practice sessions between now and October, but to do four of those per week and let it interfere with your life and your hormonal function and you know your mood and your all, all those kind of things, that's where that point that we cross over and it becomes literally unhealthy and you reference the the heart problems in uh, the endurance community it's it's terribly tragic i mean these are my peers that i used to race with on the professional circuit and were the fittest guys on the planet and now they're coming up with blown out hearts and surgeries and pacemakers and just you know destruction of the most important organ in the body and you know largely attributed to overtraining and the scarring and the inflammation of the heart walls to where the electrical signaling gets screwed up it's called afib and it's it's an epic Epidemic among the most serious and disciplined and long-term athletes that have been going and going and going, especially the cyclists, because they can sit on a seat and work their heart harder than, let's say, a runner who's constrained Absolutely. by the gravity and stuff. Absolutely. And by the way, I had AFib and uh, had it corrected. Um, do, you, do you think it came from uh, endurance training, or possibly? I don't know. You know, um, I, I had it. Um, and um, had it taken care of. They, they got it the first time. I've never had to take medication, but they had to go in and burn some of the uh, nerve endings. We don't know how it came on or why it came on. Got it fixed and re- went back and raced after that. Uh, the key to me training for this is I don't overtrain on this. And every year I do a challenge where I do Mount Whitney every year. Really? Every but, year? Yeah. Well, wow. I started doing it a few years ago, but every year since I started yeah. doing it. And the thing about doing Whitney is it keeps me honest to stay in shape because it doesn't take a lot. You know, you don't have to, I'm not doing some fastest, fastest known time or any crap like that. <laughs> I'm going up, I'm looking around, I'm looking at the marmots. I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking for a bear. I'd love to see a bear. You know, I never see a bear, you know, too high. Of, yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing where, you know, I'm just, out there enjoying myself and looking around and you get to the peak and you go, all right, I've made it another year. I guess I'm still alive. And just walk down. It takes 14 hours if you do it at a leisure pace. And, uh, but you know, every weekend at Serena and me, we've been going out to, uh, Mount Wilson and we'll go climb that and we'll do Baldy a couple of times, but it keeps me honest not to get out of shape, you know? So it's not so important that I go do an ultra anymore and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Keep keep you honest also to not overdo it because you know you got this one day to climb and you better be rested and healthy before you start. I'm trying to grab something here. I found this. Oh, look day. at this. It's it's a certificate, listeners. Right. Very important yeah, looking. Here's the thing. 
I don't keep I don't keep um, medals. I don't keep certificates. I don't keep anything. The other day, I, I think I told you I painted this room. Yeah, beautiful, bare, freshly painted walls you'll yeah. see in Vinny's studio. I haven't even hung a photo or anything yet. But I was cleaning out stuff, and I, I pick up this thing, and I'm like, what is this? Why do I have this? Well, I don't even know what this is. It was back when Chris Kostman, we were talking about Chris Kostman earlier. He's the organizer of the ultramarathon cycling and running events, a longtime yeah. guy in the community. And by the way, I don't remember this. I didn't remember that this was a deal. But he and his girlfriend at the time, uh, Chris, and he, her name was Deborah Kaplan. Do you know, you remember Deborah at all? They, they used to own a thing called um, uh, Planet Ultra. And Chris had to give it up in a lawsuit with her when they broke up. He had to give it up. But I, I pulled this out. I, I said, oh, I got to keep this. Now. I got to show it to Chris. They apparently gave this to anyone who finished it in under, it was a 200-mile deal, the Solvang Double. And, um, wow, that's fast. You, you, you did 200 miles in sub-10 hours. That's 20 yeah. miles an hour. That's 20-plus yeah. for 200 miles. For 200 miles. Wow, that's serious stuff right there. They should have given you a plaque instead of a piece of paper, man. <laughs> I didn't even know it was Come a Come on. And they gave me this thing. I guess they sent it to me in the mail, and it sat in a drawer for like, I don't know, since 2002. So that's, what, 15 years, 16 years. And I looked at it, and I went, oh, I got to keep this and show it to Chris because I'm sure he doesn't know this even exists. And, you know, now I look at that, you're right. Whenever I would do the 508, I would always take pride in the fact, because I'm looking at this going 937, God, I was slow. I would always try to do the 508, the first 200 miles with a lot of climbing. I would always hustle to get it in like nine hours and 10 minutes, nine hours and 12 minutes, nine hours and 15, because the 200 mile mark was right at Town Pass. And if I knew if I got there, I would get there, I would be in second or third place. The first few guys did those first 200 miles. You is know. this going across the Mojave? The route is from like yeah, yeah, Santa Clarita, that to first LA area to the yeah. way out in the desert and back or something. You go, basically you go from, um, uh, you start up on the five right there at, at, um, at uh, Six Flags, mm -hmm. basically. You go up through the Mojave. That first 200 miles, you probably do 10, 12,000 feet of climbing overall. And um, you get to the foot of Town Pass, and you go over Town Pass, and then you drop down into that drop down into Death Valley. A lot oh, yeah. of times you're doing 60, 65 miles an hour. Wow. And uh, I used to like to do it in the daylight because you would be doing that at night. And I didn't want to go down that pass that fast at night, so I would really hustle. But you, I think about those times now, you know, when you think about people going sub 10 hours. Most people, you know, never do a five-hour, 100-mile. I'm thinking about this now. That was like regular for me. Yeah, you know? I mean, that, that's flying. Yeah. It's, you're not screwing around and chit-chatting. You're in the drop position or whatever, pedaling hard to maintain. Remember yeah. that if you slow down a little bit, let's say on a 40-minute climb where you're only going 11 or 12, you have to make that up by hammering 24 on the flats. I mean, this oh, is... Or yeah. 30 or 29. Right. When you're looking down a lot of times, you're doing 20. To hold a 20-mile-an-hour-plus pace, 21 for this... You, every time you look down, you're doing 26, 27. 
Because when you hit those climbs, you might be doing 14 or 15 or something. Or take a leak. You just lost a minute. You're, you got to yeah. make up and you know make yeah. that up over the next 10 miles, literally, by going a mile it per hour. It's, it's racing all day long on your bike. And then in the terms of the 508, you're going for what a finish time of, what's a good finish time? Any, anything around 30, 32, oh, mercy. 32 yeah. 33, yeah. something like that. And there's 30,000 feet of climbing in that thing, 35,000 uh-huh. feet of climbing. It's... It's grueling. That that's a tough race across Oregon is tough too. Oh, nice! That must be beautiful though. Cascades yeah. and stuff. Yeah, they're yeah. both beautiful. But that one ends on a big time uphill. You go up to not Mount Hood, but uh, what's the other glacier? Is it Mount Hood? Mount Bachelor, Mount Hood. Can't remember which one we would end at, but that was another one where you would just go, "Oh my God, this never this climbing just never ends." <laughs> Man, you've been out there doing some cool stuff, and now you've turned your attention to this this documentary that I, I keep yeah. hearing about. It sounds very exciting. So let's let's pitch that. Let's see if people want to participate, huh? Well, we um, we did very well. Um, I think we're at you know I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but we're doing this on the what's the date today? Like the fourth or fifth? This is June of two thousand eighteen. It's still open. Uh, so, it, you know, it goes, we will be collecting money through tomorrow at midnight. So this won't come out before then. Well, you can watch it then. It's it's being crowdfunded, I guess. And so you're really yeah, maintaining it, control of the message. And it, you're, what are you talking about in the show? I'll, I'll tell you that in a second. But okay, yeah, right now we, we were going for $150,000. Right now we're almost at $168,000. So... We've surpassed our goal by 112. We're at 112% of our thing. Um, when, whenever these movies come out, these vegan movies like Cowspiracy or Forks Over Knives or, you know, um, What, what the, the Health. Hell? Yeah. Whew. People come to me because I'm one of the lightning rods on the opposite side. Right, so they'll come to me. You need to do the opposite film, and I was like, "No, that's not going to help either." It's kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning with Trump versus Hillary. Let's not swing back all the way in the other direction. Can we meet in the middle somewhere? I love it, Vinny. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. you know, my close friend is Rip Esselstyn, who's one of the prominent leaders of the vegan movement, Engine Two Diet, and we get together and we talk and we we hash it out. And there's so much common ground that people fail to recognize. Yeah, where he's saying a plant based diet and plant strong and all these kind of things that I strongly agree with. And then there are some differences of opinion which I recommend people resolve personally rather than getting into the dogma and, and debating things that they haven't tried. I love when you told your clients way back when. Oh, you don't agree with me? Try it for a few weeks and we'll see if you're getting closer to that dress size. And that pretty much steals the deal for most people. Yeah. And, you know, the Esselsteins, you know, they're fine. And, you know, the problem I have, you know, Rich Roll is a good friend. You know, so people are, how do you deal with Rich Roll? Uh, We have coffee together. We seem to be fine, you know. And, you know, when you, you, you think about what's going on, Whenever this guy, Kip, puts these movies out, they're propaganda films. And, you know, he gets people like Grieger who is willing to lie. You He's know. a doctor that's quoted on... These guys on What the Health were classic because they're just making these blanket statements like, you eat eggs and you're going to die. I just remember these things going, whoa, this guy's a doctor and he's putting himself on the camera? It's crazy. It, it, they, they believe that is for the greater good or something. I'm not really sure what they're trying to do. But... Um, uh, you know, uh, Grieger said that if you eat an egg, that's like smoking five cigarettes. 
um, if you eat meat, you, you're going to have pus in your body. And my question is, where's all this pus? Because I'm apparently loaded with pus that I'm not aware of. Um, they, they said in What the Health um, that, if you, that dairy, eating dairy is institutionalized racism. Yeah, that's in the movie. Uh, the guy, Kip, the leader of the movie, who's very disingenuous, he goes, uh, I was just out there looking for what's the best diet to do. Dude, you did cowspiracy. Y- you are already in that machine. Don't pretend you don't know what you're doing here. And don't go to the head of the AHA with a, a stained T-shirt with your man bun and throw a paper in his face and go, I have a paper here that says you're killing people, bro. Yep. This is all BS. Yeah. It's, it's just like Michael Moore when he tried to crash uh, Roger Smith, the, the, the CEO of General Motors, and he right. shows up at the high rise and he gets turned away and they say, turn the camera off. And he's like, I was mistreated. It's like, no, when you go try to crash the CEO's office, you're going to be turned away. And you know, it's, it's because you're a jerk and you're not going through the right channel. So I appreciate that uh, comparison because that guy sort of rubbed me wrong where he's like the, the, the aw shucks type of documentary filmmaker who's just you know, uh, finding out about all these terrible things where it's, it's a little more strategic and uh, propaganda eyes. So well, while you're talking about Michael Moore, we're going to watch, we're going to watch something. If I can pull it up here, we're going to watch something really. I'm fast. looking at a screenshot of one of the, the most beautiful dogs yeah, that you'll yeah. ever see. If you go to Serenia park, you ever go there with your dog? It's like the dog park. They took it over from humans and dogs took it over. Serenia yeah, just down the road, DeSoto and, uh, no, and Wells. Dog hiking. Yeah. She yeah. Likes to go hiking. But there's she a ton like of dogs dog. there. She, you know, she's a bitch that way. People in Los Angeles love their dogs, man. They treat them right over at the park. Yeah, I, I love my dog. Hit return and see what comes up here. I, I did this, um, I was walking through a hardware store. It's called Fat, a documentary, and you can Google this now. It's on the Indiegogo. Was that a trailer there? We can. Yeah, that's yeah. the original trailer. You, you could put it in your thing or not. But here's a little trailer I did as a spoof. I was walking <laughs> through a hardware store, and I came up with, um, I, I saw this uh, megaphone. And I bought it. I saw it. that. And yeah. Did you see this? Yeah, talking to the building. Oh, yeah. God, this guy's people funny, love people. This. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they love this, but I, I don't know if you'll be able to hear it on your Hi mic. Guys. I've been studying documentaries, and what I've learned is in order to do a proper documentary, you always have to be in the driver's seat of your car, speaking in a heist tone. And then you have to go outside and do something, but you need an oversized shirt, a trucker ball cap, and a megaphone. So let's go yell at Bill. He says he's standing there yelling at a building with a megaphone. There's no one there. He's just talking. Very important. The building has done nothing to me, but I'm yelling at it because I'm making a documentary. Did I tell you I was making a documentary? So, you know, we did stuff like that. I, I think it was stuff like that that got people to get excited about giving money to a documentary because... The one thing I'm not going to do is do what they do. I'm not going to just do a propaganda, go eat meat film. And the, the, the difference between, you know, they, they're just preaching to the choir when they do what the health or cowspiracy or forks over knives or any of those. I don't want to talk to the, to the converted. I want to go and I want to ask Michael Grieger, you know, how he can say that eating an egg will cause type 2 diabetes when there's no sugar present. 
I want to ask him how an egg is a 70 on the glycemic scale. These are facts that he puts out there on nutritionfacts.org or whatever his site is. Um, I want to ask Esselstein why all oils are bad across the board. I want to ask Barnard a thousand questions. I want Dean Arnish to come on and answer. Uh, you know, I want to hold these people's feet to the fire. I want to ask real questions. And then I want to get other people. on. I want to get doctors from the other side on to say, you know, look, I could go to the kips of the world or the rich rolls of the world, which I'm sure are perfectly nice people. But I want to go to these doctors who are willing to lie to people. Just boldface say that an egg is the equivalent of eating five cigarettes a day. That means I smoked a pack for breakfast. Every day. Every for, day. Oh, I had a five egg omelet. So five egg omelet. So I had you know, 25. Yeah. yeah. You know, this doesn't make sense. I want to know where this is coming from. I want to show these uh, Harvard doctors for what they are, the ones that come out with these studies and just lie for big food. Yeah, Dr. Kate Shanahan talks about this too, that Harvard School of Public Health, the highest authority, got busted for covering stuff up from years ago where they yeah. falsified research and suppressed things uh, relating to the dangers of refined vegetable oils. And it's, it's happening every day. And it's just, it's hard for us to believe it's hard to believe that your doctor doesn't know shit about diet, for example, or that these great resources are, you know, completely unbiased and giving you the facts and the research because they're tweaking things. They're, they got a lot writing on it. The people that are in that camp, especially in academia, they have to perpetuate the message. Otherwise, they're going to fall apart. That's why I love uh, Dr. Tim Noakes for putting on the brakes and saying, hey, a lot of my life's work is uh, refuted now by the new paradigm that you don't have to, you know, right. live on carbs. As a matter of fact, um, love Tim. Tim's been on the show a gazillion times. Um, but the story I'm telling in my movie is what happened to Dr. Gary Fetke over in, in Tasmania, which if you think what happened to Tim in South Africa is bizarre and archaic, what happened to Gary Fetke is just otherworldly. Matter of fact, you should get him on your podcast. Um, he's a good guy to have. Um, he, I'm telling his entire story. is going to be the cornerstone of this film. He was a guy that in Tasmania, um, his job became just chopping people's limbs off when they got type 2 diabetes. And he started paying attention to low-carb dieting, and he started telling some of these people to come in very fat and, you know, with diabetes. And he was reversing the problem where he wasn't chopping as many limbs off. And someone brought him up to the board of medicine and said, this guy is not following protocol. And he went in and said, I'm saving people's lives and limbs and everything else. First, do no harm, right? And oh, yeah, not so much. You, your job is to chop limbs off, not do anything else. And um, that's, where, that's where he is. You know, he finally... He said to me in a, in a Skype conversation just the other day off the air, he, I said, how are you doing, Gary? And he goes, I'm great. I haven't chopped a limb off in the past eight weeks because he's not a doctor and he stopped being oh. a medical doctor. And now he's making his life work just trying to heal people. That's crazy, right? It's a great story. Yeah. I look forward to seeing it on the fat documentary. Yeah. We're, we're going to get them all in and we're going we're gonna to hash it out. You know, Vinny, thanks for joining me, man. You're doing great stuff, and you're you're putting out a lot of a lot of info, a lot of content. Keep it up. I know it's a lot of work, but we appreciate you. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. Dun, 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 dun. 
Hi, it's Brad to talk about ancestral supplements. Question for you, how's it going with the critically important health objective of consuming some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, namely bone marrow, collagen, and nose-to-tail organ meats like liver, heart, kidney, and more? Yeah, how's it going? Pretty poorly? How did I guess? I have to admit the same. I'm sorry, folks. I've known for a long time since Dr. Kate Shanahan and her wonderful book, Deep Nutrition, emphasized that this is a sorely missing element of the modern diet, but a huge part of the ancestral diet that made humans the healthy creatures that they are today. And now we have a fantastic and convenient solution from Ancestral Supplements because they make New Zealand-sourced bone, marrow, and nose-to-tail organ meats, liver, heart, kidney, pancreas, spleen, and more, delivered in simple, convenient gelatin capsules. Oh my gosh, I love this product, and I love what this company's all about. Go on their website, ancestralsupplements.com, read one of the most impactful and inspiring mission statements you'll ever see from a company. Listen to how they describe their product. Traditional peoples, Native Americans, and early ancestral healers believed that eating the organs from a healthy animal would strengthen and support the health of the corresponding organ in the individual. The traditional way of treating a person with a weak heart was to feed the person the heart of a healthy animal. Sound hokey to you? I'm sorry, but this is extremely well supported with scientific evidence confirming that these are the foods that our DNA evolved with and are sorely missing from the modern food supply. That's why Ancestral Supplement says that they're putting back in what the modern world has left out to return people back to strength, health, and happiness. And hey, if you're a clean living person that kind of doesn't like the idea of popping a bunch of synthetic vitamins in the name of health, going over to GNC and buying 12 bottles, this is an entirely different story. This is real food packaged conveniently so that you don't have to worry about your liver making skills or how to best cook a kidney. (laughs) Just swallow the pills, man. I throw them in my smoothie every morning. So I'm taking about four or five capsules of the various ancestral supplement products. I'm throwing down the beef organs, the beef liver, the bone marrow. There's so many other ones on their absolutely fabulous and educational website. Thanks for trying it. Ancestralsupplements.com. You will love it. Hey, let's talk about Tribali Foods. If you're super busy and you want a convenient meal to make in a short time, but you don't want to compromise great taste, gosh, doesn't that sound like a commercial? (laughs) It is a commercial, but it's for something super awesome. And these are frozen organic beef and chicken patties and sliders with awesome creative flavors like Mediterranean, Chipotle, umami with the mushroom mixed in, and also these sliders, chicken apple and pork sage. What you do is you take this frozen box, cut with the scissors, the beautiful little pre-made patty, Drop it on the pan, cook it up, and it's ready in a few minutes. And this company is a real, live, authentic, girl power, entrepreneur, small business success story, home kitchen inspired. Welcome everyone to the new world where the big multinational beasts that make garbage food are getting knocked off by people who care about what they eat and about their health. And Trebelli was started by my friend Angela Mavridis in Southern California, lifelong family 
family restaurant business member. She was a vegetarian for 35 years, and one day she had a steak, felt great, and started on this path of experimenting with creative ground beef recipes and flavorings in her kitchen. All her friends loved it. She was buying tons of ground meat from Whole Foods, and they're like, hey, what are you doing with this? So she brought them in a little sample. They loved it. They flew her to Texas to meet with the national buyer, and they said, literally, start a business and we will place a large order. So this is a wonderful small business success story with love and attention to everything that goes into this product. Delicious, totally keto friendly. Go look at the pork mini sliders. We're talking one gram of carbs, 11 grams of protein, 17 grams of fat, and you get 15% off. Just visit tribalifoods.com, T-R-I-B-A-L-I, and enter Get Over Yourself in the coupon field, and you are good to go. Ship directly to your door, cold-packed, frozen stuff, thawed out in a day, and you have quick dinner, quick lunch, and also available at finer stores like Whole Foods, Whole Dudes, Nugget, Natural Grocers, Super Targets, and launching into Walmart as well. Good job. Go, girl. Trebellifoods.com. 